All right, for this morning, you would uh, be helped if you had the handout there on your table and then also a track, Two Ways to Live. Anyone need a copy track? A couple back there. Got one. All right, we're in week three of this class, just covering uh, this track, Two Ways to Live. And uh, and the main reason for this series of classes is to, um, so that we understand the content of the gospel, the message of Christianity, and then second, so that we would be equipped to be able to um, to be bold and accurate as we speak the word because no one can come to Christ if they haven't heard the word of Christ. And we, we are called to, to spread that word, to give that word, to be able to proclaim it. And uh, so we need to know what that, the content includes and how we can, we can proclaim it. And uh, again, there's nothing magical about this, this track. There's a number of tracks we could use as our guide um, for, for what the gospel is and how to share it. Um, but this one and the, the bridge track are, I think, two of the best tracks that, that have been made and, um, and that are helpful in, in sharing the gospel. So that's why we're using this one. And um, it just helps us to be able to clarify the elements and the essence of the gospel. All right, we're going to be looking at page three, or the third um, part of the track there. But before we get there, we want to briefly review... Um, pages one and two, just to uh, make sure that we have these ideas firmly planted in our minds. So, what was the theme of the first, the first, sec- first section, the first page? Okay, that God is two things. He's our loving ruler, and He's our sovereign creator. We could say it the other way around that He's the creator, if you want to think of it chronologically, and then He rules over us. So He He made us, and He has the right to rule over us. Remember the picture there. You have the picture of the earth, and then you have us on that earth, and you have God since he created all things uh, over that. And so we have responsibility because we were made by him and, and um, because he has creator rights over us that, that he has the right to rule us, to tell us what ought to be done. And so we need to submit ourselves to his guidance and protection. Someone... Uh, recite or read the verse there, Revelation 4.11. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory, honor, and power. For you created all things, and by your will you were created. Okay, good. So, um, again, the, the point of, of having a, a scripture reference is you know, when you speak to people about the gospel, you want to be able to, to show them the truth from the word. This isn't just, you know, would you just believe my opinion? This is what God says. And so here's what God says about himself, that, that um, by him were all things created and, and, um, and they were created so that he would receive glory and honor and power. All right, second page. What was the idea of the second page? Right. So God is our sovereign creator, page one. He's our loving ruler, and yet, where are we? Right? We, we kind of, that's, that's what the X over the crown is, right? We, we, would, we reject God's rule, and we want to be our own king. So we put the crown over our own heads, right? And, and it's, you know, the, this sin that has entered in the world has changed who we are as humans, effectively, because we had this kind of utopian society where everything was made right and everything was good and yet and, and yet when we look around today we see that that's not the case right we see war and famine and disease and starvation and and all sorts of evils that are going on throughout mankind and so what went wrong was that that Adam in his sin and we through his representation all sinned in Adam we resented God's claim of authority over us and chose to ignore him we rebelled against him, and that's why we see all the mess that we do in society. 
Would someone recite Romans three ten to twelve, or or you can read it if you need to. Okay, so there is not one person who is righteous. We talked about some of the ways that we can work with people. Um, again, we want to help them understand that we want them to be convinced in their mind that there is a God, you know, page one, and that they are sinners before this holy God. And today, um, we want to see what that means for them, what that means for us, right? That, that we have rejected God even though He is our rightful, loving ruler. And, um, and that's where we come to the third page, and that is judgment. God's response to our rebellion. So let me pray um, before we uh, get into the, the content of this section, and then we'll, we'll go. Lord, thank You for um, Your sovereign rule over us. Thank You that You have created all things and, and that for your will they have existed and that, that they all exist for your glory. Somehow, in the end, you're going to receive glory uh, from everything um, because you're going to turn all the chaos into order and, um, and we long for that day. But Lord, we have, because of our sin, turned away from you. So help us to think carefully about what that means with regard to our relationship with you. Um, what does that do for us when we have rebelled against you? And then what's the solution as we, we will see in the weeks ahead? Lord, help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so um, as a result of our rebellion against God, very simply, we are deserving of his righteous, righteous judgment. That's what uh, and any unbeliever needs to know. That's what we all need to know, but... But that's what an unbeliever needs to know if they're going to understand the gospel. That God is our loving ruler. We have rejected him. We've taken, we've, you know, we've uh, rejected his rule. We've stood outside of his authority, uh, at least tried to. And as a result, Hebrews 9.27, as the New American Standard says, it's appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. After this comes judgment. This is the verse that I think we should commit to memory to help us to be able to explain the gospel. If we can understand that, that everything exists for God, Hebrews 4.11, and that all have sinned, Romans 3.10-12, then the next step is we need to understand that everyone is going to stand before God at judgment. Um, some additional verses we could think through. Let me have someone look up 2 Thessalonians 1.8-9. Eric, thank you. 2 Thessalonians 1.8-9. And if you notice uh, the picture there on page 3, um, it shows that, that while we want to reject God's authority, right, the X on the previous page, instead what really is going to, to be the case is if we reject God's authority, we stand under Him, under His wrath. We, we stand under His judgment. Here's another uh, passage that, that helps us to uh, see God's judgment is real. Second Thessalonians 1, 8, 9. All right, so God's going to deal out retribution to all those who don't know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. So it's very clear that, you know, while lots of people say there's many ways to God, you know, God certainly is going to forgive me um, even though I didn't know the gospel or whatever the case. But this verse clearly says God is going to deal out retribution for those who don't know God in the sense of having a relationship with Him and they don't obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. So that means that there are going to be uh, consequences for our sin. That's, that's on the second page there um, of your handout. Now before we discuss in detail what this punishment looks like, what this condemnation looks like, we, we need to note one thing, and that is that the Scriptures are clear that, um, that our opportunity to turn from rebellion toward God is gone after we die. Okay, so that needs to be clear because what, what some people think is that if they go into this kind of holding place after death, 
that they can somehow make it into a, a, a final paradise if, if they get help from themselves and other people. But, but what the Bible is clear about is that our opportunity to turn from our rebellion is in this life. There is no second chance in the second life, in the next life. And that's why the Scripture's plea is today is the day of salvation. Now is the expected time. Um, if, if you hear God speaking today, respond to Him in repentance. It's true. God is slow to anger and abounding in love. And He, he is quick to be merciful to the humble. But, but He will not be slow to anger forever. In other words, His anger is not just going to uh, just be uh, quelled forever. It's, it's going to be poured out on those who oppose Him. And so... Yes, God is long-suffering, but, but the time to repent is now. And, and people need to be clear about that. One of the helpful passages for me uh, with regard to that idea is Second Peter 3, where you have uh, Peter saying, you know, a lot of these people who are lost, non-Christians, they're, they're constantly thinking, well, you know, things have always been as they are, and God hasn't judged me yet, so I, I guess I'm okay. And Peter says, no, things have not always been like they are. There has been a flood. There has been a worldwide judgment on sin. And, and the truth is, is that God is coming in judgment. Because what can happen here is, is what you're going to find when you talk with people uh, about the gospel and about the coming judgment, they're going to dismiss it saying, well, wait a second, I've been doing all these sinful things if they admit that they're sinful. I've been doing all these sinful things and God hasn't done me anything to me yet, right? He hasn't struck me with lightning and, and so on so Certainly, he's not going to do anything, and and what what they need to remember is or realize is Second Peter three, right? Things have not always been as they are. Judgment is coming. Uh, so just uh, um, another passage there, maybe to add to to that idea. So the consequences of sin are are twofold: first, death, and then second, judgment. Last week we we read about uh, the fall of Adam, and when they disobeyed God by eating the forbidden fruit. And God promised before him that on the day that you eat it, you will surely die. Can I have some volunteers to look up several different passages here? Bill, Romans 5.12 and also 6.23. I skipped one. Evan, Genesis 3.19, you'll actually be first. And then uh, Margaret, Romans 14.10-11. And then Paul, Second Peter three three to seven. That's actually part of the passage I was just talking about. And Eric, First Corinthians one eighteen. And a couple more. Jennifer, Jeremiah thirty two seventeen and eighteen. Mike, First Samuel two two. First Samuel two two. All right, that'll be good for now. So God had promised. On the day that you eat of the tree, you will surely die. And then God confirmed it afterwards. Evan? Okay, so the implication is that if they hadn't sinned, they would have lived forever. But because of their sin, you're, you're going to return from the place from which you came. Right? You're, you're going to return back to the dust from which you came. And so death is a consequence of our sin. The curse of death was not limited just to Adam and Eve, but it applies to us today as well. Uh, listen to Romans 5.12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, and all have sinned. And then 6.23. All right, and that again, that's another helpful verse to memorize. Maybe you already know that, but um, you already know that verse. But Romans six twenty three: the wages of sin is death. The consequences of sin is death, and and so we need to to recognize that our sin before God is not, you know, just like sinning against someone else. It's sinning against the sovereign ruler of all the universe. God created life, and in response to our sin, He takes life away, and yet. Physical death is not the full consequences of our sin. There's more to our consequences than just our death. And that is 
that we will stand before God in judgment as we saw in Hebrews 9.27. And this judgment is something for which we should be fearful because we are guilty. We don't have any case to be able to stand before God and say, but, 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 but what about this? We are guilty before God, and so that judgment should be a fearful thing. And so what does this judgment look like? Um, let's see, I, I didn't give anyone Matthew 13, so if you're not looking up another passage, you can turn there with me, Matthew 13. Matthew 13, verses 47 to 50. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. And when it was filled, they drew it up and on the beach and they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers, but they, the, the bad they threw away. So it will be at the end of the age that the angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, Yes. And Jesus said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of a household who brings out of his treasure things new and old. So, verse 50 says that they will be thrown out into the furnace of fire and that there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And it doesn't get much more vivid than that. The kind of uh, judgment that is expected for all who, who, as Second Thessalonians said, is that First Thessalonians? Second uh, Thessalonians said that that all those who do not know God, do not have a personal relationship, and those who do not obey the gospel of Jesus. Well, listen to Jesus' words in Matthew 25. Uh, it says, "But when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them." one from another, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And then verse 41 says, Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed one, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. And then verse 46, These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So, God is, is serious about this judgment. And perhaps you've heard people say, Well, you know, the God of the Old Testament is, is a wrathful and a judging kind of God, but that's not the God of the New Testament. Jesus is always love. But, but here you see Jesus talking about judgment and the seriousness of hell that will come as a result of those who reject him. And really, if you read the end of the story, right, Revelation, there, there's nothing pretty about the judgment that comes on the earth for those who have rejected Christ. So the God of the Old Testament is full of wrath against sin, but the God of the New Testament is just as well. Greg. given bodies that are uh, like we're given glorified bodies that are able to live forever that cannot see death they will have they will be given bodies that um, that are capable of always dying um, so they will never be burned up but it will be actual physical burning of their actual physical body but it'll be in, a, in such a way as far as I understand it right that it's, it'll be such a way that it will never burned them up so it's the most excruciating kind of pain that can be imagined but but in terms of who god is and how holy he is it is appropriate in other words the judgment fits the crime and um it, it highlights um the seriousness of our responsibility to turn to christ but it also highlights god's grace and that he he gives us a way out, which we'll get to in the next three weeks. But but um, yeah, I I I believe it's an actual actual literal hell with actual literal physical bodies in hell, not spirit spirits that kind of have a sensation of burning, but actually physical bodies that can't be burned up. 
All right. Someone else have Romans 14, 10, 11? Okay, Margaret. Okay, so we we all are going to stand before God at judgment, and um, we'll get to this here in the next couple of weeks in our study in Romans, but but um, that judgment is not it, it is one that we need to be serious about, but it's not going to result in final condemnation because that's talking about a judgment for believers. The point is, no matter if you're no matter where you stand, you will stand before God, no matter where you are in this life at this point, you will at some point you will die and stand before God at judgment either. Judgment that leads to condemnation or judgment that that leads to life. All right, so let's talk about the offense of God's wrath here. Um, consequences of sin are death and judgment. But but there there is this idea that that God's wrath is a little bit offensive when we think about it. I mean, um, perhaps you've heard the objections or thought of them yourself like that God can't be both loving and a judge he can't be a loving judge that those things don't seem to make sense or as we're thinking about hell I mean that seems a little too cruel or a little too harsh um, we don't like this idea of God's judgment do we many argue that God's love should come before uh, his judging that he should love first and then you know and then if there's anything left over for people who are really averse to his love then then he should judge them but listen to the, some of these uh, statistics of Americans George Barna in his research said that 76% of Americans believe in heaven and uh, that is probably not too surprising but but amazingly 71% believe in hell 71%, so like 200 million people believe in hell in the United States. But only 32% of those who believe in hell actually think that it's a real place. So I'm not sure what they think it is. But but uh, but he, listen to this statistic. One half of 1%, so a little over a million people, only one half of 1% actually think that they're going there. Right? So, so the point is that um, when they think of hell, they think of that's a terrible place, and and several people, millions of people, believe that there is a hell, but but most people don't think they're going there, and that's because we don't see ourselves as that sinful, or we compare ourselves to someone else, or we think that our sin can't be bad enough to earn us hell. We tend to to compare ourselves with people who are worse than us as I mentioned last week and um, so while we may be able to get them to do the first step believe that or, or admit that God exists right and we may be able to convince them about the second step that they are sinners here's the difficult one is their sin worthy of hell and and that's where you're going to find people resisting oftentimes now they're, they're going to resist in these first two steps that we've already looked at but but they're also going to resist here very vehemently because they don't see their sins as that offensive before God. And that and, and most people see God as a God of love primarily, that he's just going to be like that, that grandfather, just, oh, it doesn't matter what you did. It doesn't matter how much of a mess you made or how bad a thing you said. I'm just going to come and, and love you. Well, that's not love, ultimately, um, first of all. But, but, but God's... Um, Love is is doing what is best for that person. That means that that we are um, speaking truth to them and and sh- and doing it in such a way that includes compassion. And and so God is is going to be truthful with those who who um, who oppose Him. the The point is that um, our society has not been shaped by primarily by their understanding of Scripture, and that's what we need to be shaped by. And so let me. Um, just point your attention here to Second Peter 3, verses 3 to 7. 
All right, so Peter says in the last days, mockers are going to come and say, where's this promise of his coming? Where's this promise of this judgment that you're talking about? It hasn't come. I'm fine as I am. I'm going to go on continuing to live as I please. And and that's where Peter says, things have not always been as they are. God is a God of wrath when it comes to our sin. And that judgment when he destroyed the earth with water was a was a um, was a symbol of what God's going to do in the end. And so take 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 a lesson from that, learn from that. That those people turned away from God and they died, they perished. And God will destroy the earth again. This time it will be by fire. 1 Corinthians 1:18. Okay. So so there is this um, difficult barrier that you're going to have when it comes to explaining the gospel because the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. So how do we get past this? Anyone have any um, thoughts? Is this something that you had trouble with when you first, before you came to Christ? Or maybe when you've talked to somebody, they've had trouble with it. What, what were some things that you used or maybe some passages or something, ideas? that you use to get past this? Melissa? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, good. Paul? Good. Yeah, help them to see the the weight of their sin against whom they have sinned, because not just like oh it's you know little sin you know it's no big deal. Um, yeah, I've used the example similar to that with regard to a threat that you make. You make a threat against you know another guy in school or something, not a big deal. Make a threat against. The, the governor of the state or something, you, you make a threat against the you know, the president of the United States. It's a serious crime. And and um, and the same thing is true with regard to any one of our, our sins. We we reject God. We've rejected the highest uh, authority in our lives. All right, good. Those are helpful and um, some things to, to think through. Let's uh, look at the character of God that, that I think is helpful. Uh, help them to understand who God is and why this is so important that he does judge sin. So um, there are two ways we can talk about this. We can we can sheepishly explain the judgment as if we're embarrassed by it. You know, my pastor told me to, to, to talk about this, so I need to talk about it. I don't really want to talk about the sin part. I want to get to the cross part. But um, Or we can communicate God's judgment as good and right, no matter how terrible it is, that, that everything God does is right. And obviously, I'm suggesting that we talk about it in a second way. And so let's briefly walk through God's character as revealed in Scripture. The first attribute that people ought to see is God's sovereignty. Anytime we struggle to accept the difficult truth that God has clearly revealed, in this case, we are sinners and deserving of His wrath, then it's good for us to consider God's sovereignty, that, that we need to recognize Him. Back to page 1. That we, that He is our loving Creator, and He's our sovereign Creator and our loving ruler. 
Someone have Jeremiah 32. So if God has sovereignly created all things and God rules over all things, how does this fit into the understanding of God being a wrathful or a judging God? Well, it means we approach the the topic of God's wrath not with a an air of superiority like I don't care what he says, but rather we should come to it with humility. Saying, you know, if God is like this, then I need to take what he has to say seriously. If God is what what was just read there in Jeremiah 32, then then we need to to take him seriously. And um, and then also obviously look at what he has to say about the mercy that follows or the mercy that that is promised. That God will determine to do what is right and good. Second attribute of God is his holiness, and. Um, this is probably more important because this seems to be fundamental to his character that all of his other attributes are are driven by, uh, they flow out of his holiness. Holiness means that he detests sin and demands purity in his moral creatures. Listen to 1 Samuel 2.2. 2. This is Hannah's prayer. All right, and then Habakkuk 1.13. Habakkuk's wondering what God's going to do to judge evil, and he, he knows this is true. Your eyes are too pure to approve evil, and you cannot look on wickedness with favor. So because he is holy, he cannot tolerate wrong. He will punish sin. There are no exceptions. And when we fail to see how holy God is, then we, we look at hell and the judgment that will come for all those who reject Christ, and we don't, we don't appreciate it, we don't understand it, we don't see why God would do something like that. But if we see God in His holiness, then we, like Isaiah, fall before Him in humility and say, Woe is me. What am I going to do about my sin? Right? I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. You see, if God overlooked sin, He would be an unjust judge. If God just kind of swept sin under the rug, Right? We would hate that if we had a judge who, you know, someone murdered our child or our close family, uh, close close family member, and the judge said, "Well, you know what? This guy is he's sorry about it, and so we're just going to let him go." We we would be furious because he's not being just in this case. He's not being serious about sin, the kind of seriousness that we have about the sin that was committed against our family member. But you see, every sin is like that before God. That, that As serious as we are about that murder happening to our, our family member, that's how serious God is about all of our sins. And so he would actually be unjust to just say, well, it's not that big of a deal. Let's just let it go. Third attribute is God's justice. God's justice um, this is closely tied to our understanding of his holiness, but we need to appreciate that God is good and perfect judge. Um that he's not going to let the guilty go free, but but rather he's going to, to punish every sin. Psalm 9, 7, and 8 says, But the Lord abides forever. He's established his throne for judgment, and he will judge the world in righteousness. He will execute judgment for the peoples with equity. It's easy for us to recognize that justice is good when it's applied to the worst of criminals, but, but you know, few people would argue that, that Hitler should be pardoned for his cruel acts, but but we need to remember that God has far higher standards than we have, right? He is completely perfect, and our sin is far more serious than than even Hitler. We see Hitler's sin to be to mankind. Uh, our problem is not that God is the judge; it's that we don't want Him to be our judge. And one author gives a helpful reminder that God's judgment is good and not cruel. He says, um, in God's condemnation of the wicked to hell, He we can trust God because in His judgment and wrath there's no cruelty in His actions. Cruelty involves inflicting a punishment that is more severe than the crime deserves. But God is not doing that when He punishes people in hell. He is perfectly just. He is not cruel. No innocent person 
Listen to this. No innocent person will ever suffer at the hand of God. There's no one innocent that's going to be in hell. See, that's where we have the problem with hell. Like, that this seems like... But these people are guilty before God. We were guilty before God. And he goes on to say, if we have a hard time understanding God's justice, the problem is not His, but ours. It's our inability to understand the depth of our sin before a perfect, holy, and righteous God. And part of our problem, I think, is we have a problem with God's justice because we we presume upon His mercy. We presume upon His grace. This is R.C. Sproul in his book, The, the Holiness of God. He writes this illustration uh, from his own life. He says, Our tendency to take grace for granted was driven home to me while teaching college students. I had the assignment of teaching a freshman Old Testament course to 250 college students at a Christian college. And on the first day of class, I went over the course assignments very carefully that this course required three short papers. One, ex- uh, or not one, I, I explained to the students that the first paper was due on my desk by noon the last day of September. No extensions were to be given. And if the paper was not turned in on time, the student would receive an F for the assignment. Well, on the last day of September, 25 students stood quaking in terror, full terror, full of remorse. And so I, as the professor, bowed to their pleas for mercy. All right, I said, I'll give you a break this time. But remember, the next assignment, the next paper, is due at the end of October. No exceptions. Well, the last day of October came. And as you can imagine, there are more students, 50 students this time, came empty-handed, and once more, I relented. I said, okay, but this is the last time. If you are late again on your next paper, it's going to be an F. And you can guess what happened in November, right? A hundred students strolled into the lecture hall, utterly unconcerned, and I picked up my lethal black grade book and began taking down names. I marked F in the book. And the students react in unmitigated fury. They howled out and protested, screaming, that's not fair. And I looked at one of the howling students and said, Lavery, whatever that means. You think it's not fair? And they said, no. And I responded, I see, it's justice you want. I seem to recall that you were late with your paper the last time. If you insist upon justice, you will certainly get it. I'll not only give you an F for this assignment, but I'll change your last grade to the F that you so richly deserved. And the student was stunned, and he had no more arguments to make. And, you know, like like those students, we swim from the time that we're born, right? We swim in an ocean of God's grace. That God is constantly being rich in mercy, pouring out his love on us and, and not giving us the judgment that we deserve because we're sinners. So that when we actually get the justice, what do we do? Right? Like that third paper, we respond with rage. That's not fair. But of course, grace by its very definition is getting something that we don't deserve. And when we have been enjoying that grace all along, we have been getting what we don't deserve and we haven't been getting what we do deserve, God's wrath. Then when we actually get it, God's justice looks unfair, doesn't it? You see, God gives justice to all. And... and um, his mercy we have, have experienced for so long that, that we don't see his justice as right. But it is completely right. Uh, all right. Any thoughts or questions on that? Please. Well, they, um, you know, once we, we start to see God's justice in that way, that, that 
you know, my sin is worthy of God's judgment. That That is the first thing that we need to see, which is why we're going through this this part. Good. Paul. Yeah, what's that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, what? Who would want to be in heaven if if God weren't there, right? We'll take all the gifts, you know, all the the great uh, streets of gold and the mansions and all that. But but what if God weren't there? Um, and for Christian, that would be no heaven at all, um, because we can't live without God. We we uh, He is our very uh, the reason for existing. Um, all right, number four, God's love. The fourth attribute would be helpful for people to understand if they're going to understand God's judgment, uh, God's judgment on their sin. Now, this doesn't seem right that God is love. Why would why would we even talk about this in in line with His wrath or His His justice or His judgment? I mean, it seems like He can either be loving or He can be a judge. Okay, so we're going to have to uh, right towards the end of the class step into a little bit of a deep theological waters here. But it's important for us to consider. We we need to understand how God's love fits with His judgment, um, and that in your evangelism you're going to come across this question, right? That this is this is goes back to kind of the problem of evil. How can a God allow this X, whatever it is, some evil thing that's going on? How can God allow something that and still be loving, right? How can God send a person to hell and still be loving? He he has to be one or the other. So think of three ways in which God's punishment of sin is a loving act. All right. First, God is a loving God is loving toward Himself. God's God is loving toward Himself in His judgment, in His holiness. He is loving toward Himself. And and if you think about it, what better thing or person can God love? There is nothing greater in all of the universe and all of existence than God. In fact, if God loved anything more than he loves himself, he would be idolatrous. For God to love himself, it is completely right. For us to love ourselves, it's completely wrong, right? If that's our highest love, um, because there is one greater than us that we ought to love. But for God, it's, it's completely right. It's not proud or, or self-centered in, in a, in a um, negative kind of connotation. Second Peter three eight nine says, "But do not let this one fact of a fact escape your notice, beloved. That with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. The Lord is not slow about His promises; some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing any to perish, but for all to come to repentance." So God's punishment is loving because it, God is loving toward Himself. He is showing that that He is serious about the things that matter to him most, his holiness and and his own justice. Secondly, um, God's punishment is loving towards sinners. God doesn't simply punish sin for thousands of years. He, he warns against it. He gives people an opportunity to repent. He, he, he spares people so that they have an opportunity. I mean, even in that song we sang earlier, Psalm 2, why do the nations rage? Why do the kings plot in vain? They rise up against God. They set up all these um, these uh, rebellious sorts of um, pillars against God. And, and what does God do? We expect God at the end of that psalm to just come down in wrath. And yet in verse 10 it says, But you, wicked people, you if you repent, then I'll accept you. It's the same thing to Nineveh, right? Nineveh hated God and, and God sent Jonah to them and said, Listen, if you repent, I'll restore you. I'll, um, I'll allow you to be rescued. And, and that's the nature of our loving God, that, that throughout history and even in the end times when there is this great uproar against God, there, there is going to be opportunity for people to repent. There's going to be all these plagues that come on people and yet, and yet um, they, they still fail to repent. That's, that's the sadness of our state as humans. Thirdly, the punishment of sin is loving towards those who have been sinned against including himself, but if God did not detest evil, if God um, 
did not hate the effects and the consequences of sin, then he could not be loving. It is fundamentally loving for God to oppose sin, and it would be unloving of God not to. You have been the recipient of some sinful action, right? And it would be unloving of God for just for him to just ignore it. But God is serious about sin, and he will bring down his wrath on that sin, either through that person's eternal condemnation or through the wrath that he poured on his son at Calvary. And so God's wrath actually is something that stems out of his love. In other words, a person cannot have wrath unless they love something. The things that you're wrathful against, the things that you have anger against is because you love something else. Right? The reason that you hate bullying against your children is because you love your children. Right? The reason that God loves or the reason that God can be wrathful is because he loves something that is very important to him and that is holiness. That is truth. That is uh, his son. And so God loves himself. He loves um, he loves sinners, and then he loves those who have been sinned against. Um, and, and if we have a problem of trying to reconcile love and judgment, then then stick around because that's we're going to see that next week in the cross. Okay, that's where it comes to to a head, so to speak. You you see both God's love and His judgment on the one whom uh, who is His Son, and so that'll be our topic next week. All right, implications for evangelism, and then we'll, we'll be done here. What are some implications for us as we share the gospel? How should God's judgment of sinners affect our evangelism? Well, it should give us a sense of urgency. If it's true that God is going to bring down judgment on those who oppose him, then we can't just sit around, right, just sit on our hands like, and I wonder what I should do with my life. That People need to hear this gospel because, again, the next life is too late for them to make a choice. So it should give us a sense of urgency. It also also should give us a sense of humility that we were by Ephesians 2, we were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. It should humble us, right, to, to recognize I deserve God's wrath because of my sin. Thirdly, it should help us to to take advantage of daily conversations regarding justice and fairness. So when you see people... Uh, talking about the the, un, the injustice that's going on in our society around the world, here's a natural entrance ramp for you to share the gospel, uh, for, for you to turn that conversation toward Christ. All right, so brief summary. God God is holy and just, and He rightfully responds to our rebellion against Him, that is our sin, first with death, then with judgment, and then eternal condemnation. That, that division that's going to take place, that, that God is going to separate the righteous from the unrighteous, and that, that separation will be forever. Some to worship, others to, to experience everlasting ruin in hell. Now, this is certainly a difficult topic, but it is crucial that... that Every single person on this globe understands this message because they are going to stand before God one day. And, and so we need to help them to, to see that, that the judgment is a result of turning away from God. All right, next week, familiarize yourself with the first four pages. We'll get to the fourth one next week. And then memorize these verses. Um, again, it's good to, to have that hidden in your heart so you don't have to have, you know, like where is that, that track? I've I got it in my heart. I don't, I don't necessarily need that. So if you know these verses, even if you just know these verses, it will help you to remember the whole outline of the structure of the, of the gospel and, um, and you can work through it that way. Sometimes you're going to have to spend more than just a, a single conversation on one of these pages, right? I mean, maybe someone's stuck on the, the fact that God exists. They're a practical atheist. So maybe you need to spend some more time on that. and and uh, Or maybe they, they recognize that, but they don't accept the fact that they're sinners. And so you might uh, breeze through the first one. They're complete in, in a complete agreement, but you need to slow down for the second one. Um, so you, you need to recognize this is not a rote formula. Just, okay, if I can just get through this, then they will have received the gospel. 
And and I think that is true. I think this includes the the basics of the gospel, but but we also need to be flexible when it comes to helping people understand. Any thoughts or questions briefly? Paul. Hey, how do you do that? Oh, the of this tract? Oh, they do. Okay. Good. Oh, zero dollars. All right. Paul's selling apps over here. I think they have the bridge tract as well. Um, That one I think costs a couple bucks, but it would be money well spent. So that's good. It's a helpful resource if you uh, have an electronic device that you carry around. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for um, your justice. But, but, Lord, we're thankful even more for your mercy and your grace that, that you have from the time that we first existed have poured out your, your grace on us, uh, giving us more time so that we could hear and respond to the gospel. And, Lord, we are um, continually swimming in the ocean of your grace. And, and Lord, we um, don't want to presume upon that, but, but we do relish that and, and love you for that. And we want to see other people be able to join us as well. So help us to be able to share the gospel with them and and preserve them, rescue them from their greatest um, catastrophe. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.